and welcome back everyone to yet another episode of Going for Two, presented by our good friends at Homefield Apparel. I am your host, Matt Brown, the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter, and today I'm flying solo. Uh, this has been a, a bit of a challenging week here, and I imagine the next week we'll be here too with uh, trying to figure out times that work for Brian and I's schedules with a gajillion of interviews that we're doing, potential travel, other things. So we weren't able to get everybody in the same place, but that doesn't mean that we're not, we don't, you're, you're stuck just with me. Uh, I, we have a guest for this episode. We'll have a guest for a couple other episodes here in the near future. Um, one of the things that we have been curious about even independent of all this conference realignment stuff and all the administrative everything, is how organizations, athletic departments, specific teams, everybody else, make decisions and how they can make better decisions. Part of that is advanced stats. Part of that are the interpersonal relationships that lead to effective athletic departments versus ones that are mostly run by outside boosters or, or other things. These, these are the kind of stories that really fundamentally depend Who's actually that, that fundamentally demonstrate who's actually good or not, right? You can have all the money, you can recruit all the four and five stars you want, but if you're bad at communicating, if you're bad at building an effective organization, if you're bad at management, you become 2000s or 2010s Tennessee. You become Auburn. You become plenty of other places that just, you know, Texas that haven't been able to get the proverbial stuff together. Um, as for this show, we're going to be talking with a gentleman named Mark Christian. He is with the Intelli Sports Analytics, uh, a firm that tries to marry, uh, if you will, numbers and words, right? Or, or, or just really study how organizations, particularly athletic organizations, collect data, figure out what data they want to actually use, and then work it all together. Uh, Mark is a professor. He he's, uh, works in the industry management school at Georgetown. He has been a coach before. He's been involved in this world on several levels. This is a uh, podcast that is part of a paid sponsorship the, or, or between both of us. I, I do occasionally accept these. So I want to be, be very upfront with my listeners, but also I only do these if these are the kind of people that I want to talk to anyway. Right. I'm not going to accept some money to go do a special podcast episode on the why amateurism is good, actually, Institute uh, or, or anything like that. This is somebody that we normally want to talk to anyway. Um, so I'm happy to go bring Mark on and we can get into the weeds a little bit about how these conversations actually work. Wonderful. Uh, Mark, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for taking some time here to chat with me. I know this is this has been a long time coming. I'm, I'm glad our schedules are finally aligned so you can yeah, chat. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Matt. It's great to be on. Um, I want to ask a couple of dumb questions because I think you're, I think your 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 firm here, this uh, IntelliSport Analytics, and this idea of trying to bring data driven, um, in, you know, in, insights to athletic department or athletic program um, management. I, I I think a, a lot of our listeners, whether they're in the industry or not, would go, well, yeah, that makes sense. That sounds like something that, that everybody needs to know. But then maybe drilling into the specifics might. Uh, be a, 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 a little bit more more challenging. So let me let me ask you maybe a, a very kind of dumb question here first. When we're talking sure. about being data driven or data informed, and I'm some kind of athletic team, whether a pro a pro team or a college team. What kind of data are we talking about? Because yeah. there's a gajillion different things that, that might go into that, and you can't be data informed if you don't have any idea what you should even be tracking, right? Sure. Yeah, well, I first would probably make the distinction between what it means to be data-driven and data-informed, because I think those are two very different things. 
to me, data driven is when you collect data and it helps you make the decision. In fact, it makes the decision for you. A set of facts is presented to you and leads you from point A to point Z. And uh, it, it kind of reveals itself. Data informed decision making is you collect data, but there's an aspect, an unknown and human element, I would say, that is really important for consideration. And I think in athletics and sports broadly, there's this huge human element that we're thinking about, uh, the people within organization, the athletes you're dealing with. And so even with the best data presented in front of you, you really have to be thinking about the human aspect of it. And what do we know? What does experience bring to the table? And using data and your informed uh, experience, how can that lead to a decision? And so in Telesport Analytics is really more of the informed, data-informed route. We try to bring uh, and, and help uh, reveal the human element of organizations, whether it's at the team level or perhaps an athletic department level, and really help reveal some of those blind spots. But that's not going to completely dismiss the experience of athletic directors or, or coaches, because they're going to bring that 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 lifelong experience they have to the table. Um, and the data that we present is going to help uh, really kind of fill out that picture that's going to help them make a data-informed decision rather than a data-driven decision. Uh, this is a good point. And it's funny, when I talk to other like industry publications or if I've talked to other people about newsletters, like I, I go out of my way to make that distinction as well. Like I try mm -hmm. to collect data for going for two or for extra points or for my business. But part of the reason that like I push back on the idea of being data driven is because in the digital publishing world, I am convinced that a lot of the data is baloney. Not that like the concept <laughs> of data is bad, but like the metrics that we use to track you know, click-through rates and and add data and downloads. I mean, sorry, I mean, every download for going for two is, of course, legitimate. But like for, for right. in general, a lot of that's bots. A, a, a mm -hmm. lot of it is it's, it's it's difficult to really say like this data is so accurate. I would I would I would swear you know that I, I I'm I'm comfortable making big business decisions based on that. Right. I would imagine in the athletics world, even for you know you can you can kind of tell how many tickets are sold and. Uh, you know, Rashid Wallace is right that that the, the ball doesn't lie. You can you, the scoreboard is, <laughs> is is what it is. But I'm imagining trying to like get extremely accurate information about even more qualitative stuff can be a challenge in this world too. Because just because you can put a number on it doesn't necessarily mean that that number is 100 accurate, right? That's right. Yeah, and that's where um, you know we bring a real a rigorous research approach. Um, so with the qualitative data, right? you can really collect data from an organization through two ways, uh, you know, one-on-one -on -one interviews and uh, focus groups. And that's the approach we take. And we think that's really important because, you know, within an organization, right, there's going to be, uh, you know, you have your leaders and it's typically a hierarchical structure. So those who are higher in the organization typically have the most agency to move an organization in a certain direction. Um, however, your people uh, that are below those leaders um, those are the, your operators, right? And those are the people yeah. that are going to be able to deliver on the mission. And, you know, they come to work the workplace with a certain set of expectations and outlook and beliefs. And, uh, you know, if there's a misalignment between the leadership and, and your people, then, you know, there's going to be some sort of hiccup towards achieving your goals. And, you know, I say that um, with, with, you know, the, the belief that, you know, qualitative research can help bring out what people think in your organization. So if you're spending a lot of time, um, you know, listening to your people, and if you do that in a, in a thoughtful and rigorous way, you can start to identify what those themes and trends are. And you can do that through, you know, a rigorous research way and, and start to say, 
with with confidence or a certain validity that um, you know this is where your people are, and maybe we need to work towards a certain direction to to have an alignment. Well, let's a lot of the the work that that your firm does seems to mm-hmm. to focus on align the concepts of alignment and culture, which mm-hmm. uh, tend to be, which are things that I think you hear every leader in this industry talk about is critically important. Every football coach, when, yeah. when media day starts in a couple of weeks, they're going to talk about trying to build a player you know, centered or player driven culture and how the, and, and how with, with roster being rosters uh, being transient and assistant coaches being transient culture is the only thing that's permanent. What we're trying to build here. Right. And I think sure. fans understand, okay, intellectually, I understand that culture yeah. is important, but you can look at two, four, seven or on three, and you could get an idea for the quality of roster someone's building because we have a star system and it's very easy to, to kind of tell what the NFL draft or on-field production, whether you have enough talent. In mm-hmm. your experience as a coach and as an analyst now and, and as somebody who's been do, is doing into this, are there, obviously like not every successful culture is the same, but are right. there measurable themes or or, or consistencies through the, some of the places that you've examined, these interviews that you've done of, of high-functioning competitive cultures? What, what are things that you typically look for in these interviews or that people can see if things are working? Yeah. So, you know, I think it's also important to first start with like, you know, what is, what is the working definition of culture? And for me, that is yeah. really what the shared beliefs, attitudes, and behaviors of the leaders and uh, perhaps employees or, or athletes of an organization or team. And so what, what does that truly mean? It, it basically is what are the accepted behaviors within a team or an organization. And I think whatever that accepted behavior is, whatever the lowest denominator is, that is your culture. So whether mm. you are, uh, is it an organization or team that holds people accountable or are there, or are there people that do what they want or are there people that um, are not on the same page? And so, you know, for the, I think the high performing cultures are the ones that understand what their values are. They're often talked about and, when you deviate from what those values are, there's people within within the the team that hold people accountable. And it can't. What's very important is it can't be always the same people. Everyone yeah. has to be on the same page, and you have to be able to know that in your moment of weakness, that the person next to you will be strong enough to hold you accountable to what to what to what everyone espouses to hope to achieve, right? And I think that's that's really important. Now, culture, I think, is can really seem intangible, right? And it feels like it's this ever-moving target. So it's really important to map what what the values are in people in organization. And, um, you know, what are the steps that are going to be able to hold people to those values? So, you know, I think if everyone can, if a team or a coach, a leader, if they're exploring, if they're discussed, and they're continu- continuously reiterated, then it's more likely than not that a good culture will, will come about. And you, you have been an athlete yourself. You've coached. Mm-hmm. You've been around athletes for a long time, even before you were in this particular professional uh, setting. Can you t- maybe give me an example of of a, of, a, of what you thought was like? You know, I maybe before you founded this firm, like, hey, this was a culture that I was around, either because it was high performing, or it was identity affirming, or it was efficient in many other ways that uh you know i've used as a template or i i've I've been thinking about as i now interview and and talk to other people what was was there an example of a of a a team that really kind of jumped out to you as like this is the kind of culture that people should be emulating well i can only speak to my experience matt and you know i I go back to my time as an athlete i was uh, i swam at kenyon college 
And for those who don't know that, you know, Kenyan, the swimming team, they won 33 straight NCAA division, uh, division three swimming titles. Yeah. I, got to well, I, don't, I don't know if I've told you this. I, I'm from Granville. I, I, I used to go to <laughs> no to, way. Yeah. I used to go to swim camps there all the time. I mean, Kenyan, That's could, unbelievable. Kenyan could kick some division one team's ass. And it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's funny because for those who don't know, and this is with deep love in my heart too, Kenyan is the exact opposite of a jock school. I think in, in many, many, many other ways, but this particular <laughs> program is a just dynasty in Bumblefart, Ohio. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Could, yeah. No, it's, yeah. I think that's hundred yeah. percent accurate. And uh, so I had the, you know, the great fortunate uh, to swim under uh, Jim Steen and, you know, he had been there, you know, for over 20 years, but t- before I arrived on campus and what I think was very clear to the athletes when they arrived was that, there were certain expectations placed upon the athletes. However, the, the expectations were very much explained. And there was, uh, I think, um, opportunities for grace when, uh, you know, inevitable failures occurred, right? And so it was that, you know, Coach Steen was very able to, he was always guiding the ship. He was tending his garden, right? He was, he was making sure that on a daily, from a day-to-day standpoint, everyone understood what the expectations were. Um, and we were held accountable to those, but it was, it was a way that, uh, everyone heard what they needed to heard. I always use the, the analogy with him. If we lined up all, you know, 50 athletes, right? 25 men, 25 women, he could walk down the line and really understand what everyone needed to hear, uh, individually, whether someone needed a little bit of tough love or they needed a you know, shoulder to cry on. And I think that's really important for leaders to know is that everyone in your organization experiences <laughs> that team or that organization in a very different way. And so your approach and your response to someone has to be very personalized, has to be very specific. And so knowing who your people are is, is really, really important. Um, this, this is an, an important point because the, the baseline expectation, the, the, the minimum, uh, you know, allowed behavior at a, at a place yeah. like Kenyon, like that is the same, but the message to communicate that message to that, to each individual athlete may be very, very different. And, mm-hmm. and, and the, the process to get somebody to that point is very different. I would imagine even just very practically speaking though, that's a challenge for a coach, even just from a logistical standpoint, because I mean, well, how big was Kenyan staff? Like three people. And then one of them has to be like a GA or something. This is not Ohio state where you have right. a, you know, the population of El Salvador as a, as your Dobos that are kind of running everything <laughs> here. You're this, you're this relatively modestly resourced NCAC school. And yeah. you need to, the, the charge, if I'm understanding this right, is you have to build a personal relationship with everybody uh, from, from your, 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 your best backstroker to, to somebody who you're hoping develops into a contributor three years down the line. That's a big yeah. interpersonal social commitment, right? It is. And I, I would say, Matt, I think there's a misconception between, you know, what a D3 school can do and what a division one school based on the resources. Yeah. Cause ultimately I think it comes down to what a person prioritizes. Cause you know, I had great experiences at, at Kenyon. Um, but that was also replicated at, at division one schools too. And I think it, what always was, was, uh, was all, what was always present for the people who, who I most gravitated to, or I had the most impact from were those who prioritized getting to know myself or my colleagues and really trying to understand, you know, what makes us tick and, you know, what are our aspirations or what, what do we need as a coach? 
and maybe it wasn't something big, right? Every every ask is doesn't doesn't always have to you know cost a half a million million dollars. Maybe it's just understanding you know that my my line is open. If you need to talk to me, then then it's available. And I think you know uh, you know schools that perhaps you know more uh, don't have the largest budgets. You know it, it doesn't have to be a funded initiative. It can be just understanding you know what are the good practices. Um, of, of, you know, being a good person, leading with empathy and, you know, knowing how to uh, best impact your people. And um, if you're familiar with uh, the organizational psychologist, Adam Grant, um, he just came out with uh, a recent podcast and he does a lot of the stuff about how organizations operate. And uh, he, he kind of shared recently that there was new evidence on the great resignation that shows a toxic culture is actually the biggest driver of turnover more than burnout and more than low pay. And so, you know, organizations really should be prioritizing their, their, their resources or how they are structuring the organization towards, you know, how can we, how can we help people reach their potential? How can we meet, meet them where they are? What do they need? Um, and so the, the bottom denominator here was that culture toxicity exists when a culture pri prioritizes results without relationships. And I think that's really el you know evident in, in sports, right? Sports yeah. are driven towards winning, and if it's if the ends justify the means, then you're going to lose a lot of good people in the process. And so, how you do things is really is really important, not just you know, what you do. This is this is a great point, and and this idea here of not every one of these asks needs to be well funded. Yeah, this 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 is well met, and and I, I'm sure both mm -hmm. of us and anybody that's in this industry that's been around anyone in the Division Two or Division Three or the high school world knows you don't need a ton of money to be a good interpersonal communicator to show empathy and to build a relationship. That happens right. in Pop Warner, where nobody's getting paid, and exactly. it doesn't happen sometimes with the Jacksonville Jaguars, where where everybody's <laughs> getting paid quite quite a bit of money, right? Um, and yep. and and certainly the, the, we can we can see this with these with these high achieving cultures. I want let's talk a little bit about toxicity because I would imagine mm -hmm. that every any AD or coach that's that's listening to this point nodding along like yes, I would also like to build Kenyan swimming. If I can't mm -hmm. build Kenyan swimming, Denison swimming sounds pretty good, or 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 or, or, or some other like very high achieving, you know, a program here that that doesn't have a forty five million dollar operating budget. But of course, building this and wanting to build this are are two very different things. And I, I would imagine that you know no leader or no AD is going to think, well, you know, if if my coach is, is in the is in there throwing chairs <laughs> at people and calling them ethnic slurs and, and diminishing them, well, well, clearly that's toxic and that's that's easy to see. That's malignant. Right. We, we can remove that. In your professional experience and, and in your lived experience, are there signs that a culture may be toxic or at the very least not, you know, not function the way it needs to that are not exorbitantly obvious or that sometimes like well-meaning leaders or coaches might um, routinely miss that, that prevents yeah. them from building what, they're, what you're trying to talk about here? Yeah, and, and I think that's that that's the hard part, right? Trying to understand, you know, these organizations that perhaps are middling and they, they aren't doing well. And, uh, you know, the, the reasons are not obvious, right? There's not a scandal that has, has come about. Um, and so I think we have to really understand is look at some of the, some of the finer points, you know, are, are athletes more frequently leaving a program? Um, are they coming to your administrators asking for help? Um, our assistant coaches turning over underneath a head coach. 
So some of these some of these smaller metrics that are um, kind of pointing to that there's perhaps some sort of uh, of challenge. Um, you know, in the case of my sport, you know, where I coach swimming, it could be that some athletes uh, maybe were underperforming that they that they came in as a highly touted athlete, yet they're, they, they weren't improving or they, or they stayed the same. And you have to start asking your questions. Why is it, you know, you may have the best coach that is really good at X's and O's, but you know, the, the culture is stagnant because, you know, they're not getting the emotional uh, and uh, emotional growth that they need to be taking those steps to be, you know, high level athletes. Um, you know, I've, in my experience, you know, with IntelliSport, you know, what we're doing is that, you know, we're trying to approach this from from two from two lenses, from a quantitative standpoint, really de deploying surveys that are um, built in conjunction with with the stakeholder, whether it's the coach or the the administrator, and that we kind of bring our set of standards, but it's customized to ask really relevant questions to perhaps what's going on, and then we're pairing that with uh, interviews to really understand what the lived experiences are of athletes with an organization. And, you know, I think it's really important for a third party to come in and, and help with that because, you know, the coaches and leaders, you know, they, they, they're in the trenches and they have somewhat of a, a biased outlook in terms of what they think is going on. Yeah. And, you know, despite their best intentions, that, that could be off. And so, you know, when we come in and, and help an organization uh, ask these questions and try to really pull out, you know, the pull out, excuse me, and elevate the voices of, of the athletes and coaches, we can really kind of get a clear picture of what's going on. We'll start seeing trends and ideas. You know, on 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 this this front, you you kind of got me thinking a little bit here, and mm -hmm. and being able to have this this survey driven data and 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 ask these kind of conversations feels very important. But going back to this, to to resources, not every ask towards building a better culture needs to be resourced, but often data collection and data analytics needs to be. This is a major question in lots of sports when I talk to coaches and even to administrators about coaches or how do I most effectively get data I need to make better coaching decisions? Do it cost a lot of money to do play tracking? It might cost money to have cameras so I can better understand heat maps or what my athletes are doing on the court. And then it costs money to be able to distill that in three right. sentences so my 18-year-old that I see for eight hours a week can actually understand that. And your experience as an athlete, coach, professional, are there like, I guess, case studies or best practices or things that you've seen from as from a, an ability to gather data from an institution that might not have unlimited resources? Like, I, I, if everybody could have yeah. synergy sports and 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 employ you and, and do eight other things, I'm sure that would be wonderful. But yeah. not everybody can run their own little Sloan conference, right? <laughs> That's right. Well, I think, you know, right, the data collection and data analytics, it's its this massive field, right? And when you try to understand what you need, uh, it can feel somewhat overwhelming, right? So I think, number one, you have to determine what are your priorities. I think each program is in a different stage in their evolution. So, yeah. you know, if a, if a coach is, was just hired and they're taking over a program, you know, they have much different priorities than coaches than has been there 10 years. So understanding your priorities and what data you need to know and really kind of being very selective can, I think, be uh, can, can help you be efficient in terms of your time, right? Because data analysis takes a lot of time, but also you can yeah. be a little bit more economical with where you're putting your resources. So understanding your priorities, I think, is really important. Um, and the second, I think it's 
when you understand your priorities, the systems you put in place are going to help you establish benchmarks. And you know, da a data point in one point in one point in time doesn't tell you anything. Data over time will start telling you a story. So if you can determine your priorities and establish benchmarks, you'll start seeing trends in terms of what you're trying to understand. And I think if you're in that focused, and uh, if you do that in a focused way, you can start to understand your your people a little bit better. And then it should be hopefully a little bit of predictive, and and maybe you can understand you know where your team is moving or where how your organization is moving, and and uh, at that point maybe you can uh, pivot to to doing something else. So th those are kind of the way I think about it, and and some of the stuff I've done in terms of uh, as a coach and as a uh, as a data scientist. Um. When, when you have come in there to assist other sports organizations to maybe conduct some of these surveys or, 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 or mm -hmm. to you know, walk through uh, an organization's culture with somebody, have you ever experienced real reticence or buy-in from coaches? Because I have found, and I, I don't, I have, unfortunately, I'm not as plugged into the swim coach world as I am maybe for football, basketball, and baseball, but there is a, um, say, a wide, uh, you know, um, there, there are some coaches that are eager to embrace uh, a, a third party coming in and talking about their culture or eager to embrace different kinds of data. And there are some that have decided that um, how they did things in 1989 is, uh, is, is how they should continue to do things. And, uh, you know, competitions is not one on a spreadsheet. Have you, have you, yeah. have you faced reticence from anybody? And then how have you had to try to overcome, overcome the fact that maybe it's actually good to get numbers sometimes? Well, yeah. So I think, you know, the, the programs I've worked with, right, this is something that they've wanted and they've wanted yeah. to be thoughtful about what they're doing. And so I think that's, you know, step one is is getting buy-in and, and helping people to step back and try to understand, you know, where, what they believe they are doing and whether they, and whether they're open to understanding it, unpacking it. I think that's really important. Um, you know, biasy, our own biasy really drives how we think and how we make decisions. Um, you know, my hope is when you bring a research approach to it, is that you can somewhat eliminate some of that bias and really kind of uh, pull out and unpack, you know, what's going on with within an organization. So it does require people uh, to buy in um, and really try to understand, you know, what's going on. There's a, a program I'm working with right now, and they do have a really strong tradition of winning. And uh, they want to understand what the role of winning is, right? So this is a coach who maybe doesn't need to do this because, you know, they've been successful. However, they, you know, to try to continue to, to evolve and, and, and be proactive, you know, they're trying to understand, you know, how does winning impact what we do? Does it uh, cause us to rest on our laurels or does it motivate us mm -hmm. to be better than what we were? And so, you know, we're asking questions around winning. But then we're doing it uh, at another layer. We're trying to understand what I'm calling horizontal and vertical relationships. So the horizontal is, you know, athlete to athlete. You know, how, how would they describe their relationships? And then the vertical is from the athlete to the coach. And so breaking it down from those two different dimensions is going to give really good insight into what's going on. You know, is the relationship between the, to the athletes, is it strong or are there, or are there problems that they need to work through? And our coaches giving athletes what they need and our athletes giving coaches what they need. So thinking about it from those two different levels is, is going to really kind of give us a full picture of, of what's going on. Uh, this, this is, this is a good point. Um, and I'm, 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 I'm imagining 
a world where perhaps an athlete may be more comfortable talking through things, maybe with you even, than they would mm -hmm. proactively going out to another athlete if there are problems. And then now you, you have a realization that you actually have to work through some of those things to, 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 to build that better culture. Um, right. Mark, I think my last question here, uh, and forgive me if this is maybe a little bit too broad. Okay. But given that you've been and mentioned this world here, you know, deep in this world here for, for several years now on multiple different levels, has there been, have there been any misconceptions that, that, that you've had about successful cultures or about how cultures change and evolve that, uh, now that you, that you, that, that where you changed your mind, you know, something that maybe you thought as a coach or as an athlete, and now as you've had a chance to talk with organizations outside of your sport to have a wider data set, you think, well, actually, no, now I think I really believe X, Y, or Z. Is, is there anything, has there been a place where you've, you've changed your thinking? That's a great question, Matt. Um, well, I think that I think from a couple, two different things. One is that, you know, winning can hide a lot of flaws and, you know, <laughs> yeah. and um, that's, that's not necessarily a good thing. Right. And so even with your winning programs that are doing really well, that doesn't preclude you from asking the tough questions about what is going on and what can improve. Right. I think, you know, uh, you know, it's, it would be an easy Google query to, to look into, you know, any sort of successful program, they, they still have their challenges too. Um, so uh, I think it's really important for even the best to uh, go through some sort of practice of self-examination of what they're doing, what can they do better, and are they doing it the right way? Um, yeah. And then secondly, I would say that, you know, as a coach, uh, especially, you know, and within higher education, you know, we're so focused on high performance and, you know, producing, you know, these, these, uh, experiences in, in sport that is based on, on winning and just having these out outsized outlandish, you know, uh, you know, winning experiences. Right. And there's so much more that goes into it. You know, the day-to-day -day training, the, the expectations in the classroom, um, you know, the social element. And so, you know, the, 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 the sports, I guess, complex that we're, that we're part of, right. It's, it's all focused on the outcome and there's so much more that goes into it the day to day. And, and so stepping back and trying to understand what that is, appreciating it and, and walking that with the athletes is so important. And, and you can't, you just can't, it's, you can't treat your athletes as, as commodities. You have to treat them as people and, and make sure that, you know, you're giving them what they need and that you're being very clear and, and, and supporting them the whole way. Um, that's, that's a great point. And it's funny, like, as you were talking about this idea of, you know, winning can mask a lot of, of, of negative culture aspects. Mm -hmm. and there's, um, problems that might come if you become so bottom line driven, you know, my mind immediately thinks to the business world, right? I read liars poker too. Like I, I I'm familiar with it, what happened yeah. in, at Solomon mm -hmm. brothers. And like, that seems like a place where like your internal culture, super rotten, very bottom line driven, very successful for a long time until they weren't right. And, and, and I think sure. anybody that's, that's taken two undergraduate business classes or has a Bloomberg subscription can think of other organizations where the internal culture was not where it needed to be, but was successful for a long time. I, I, <laughs> I you know, think, you know, kind of piggybacking off that, off that, do you believe that the cultures of a successful sports program or athletic department or sports organization 
if, if that is so subject matter specific that there aren't a whole lot of great takeaways that can be learned from other organizations or if we're talking about successful culture, are there are there meaningful lessons that could be you know taken from the business or nonprofit yeah. or you yeah. know cultures that have nothing to do with sports? Yeah, I mean, of course, um, you have to look outside of your realm to, to understand best practices. That's where I think, you know, some of the best coaches are adopting, you know, the, the best practices of the business world. So I think, I do think it's, it's really important. And you, you triggered my memory a little bit. You know, we did some work with a, a, an NGB, a national governing body recently. And, you know, they were, we, they want to understand the relationship of, of trust and satisfaction and uh, the coaches that were queried, um, they rated this organization as very competent in how they ran their, their enterprise. However, they were rated lower on the trust and accountability. So even though they did a really great job running their events, the coach, there was some sort of element there was, uh, that was, there was a gap between, you know, accountability and trust and trusting them. So, um, that doesn't sound like any national governing body I'm aware of in this world. <laughs> right? <laughs> Allegedly so, very you, good at running events, stakeholders, low level of trust. Not saying that this is who you worked with, yeah. but boy, that sure sounds yeah. familiar to my listeners. Yeah. So, right, you know, it's you can be really great. You can produce, you know, Olympians. You can have really great uh, sport experiences, but there's still some sort of gap. And so working through that is, is really important. And uh, you have to look elsewhere to try and understand what are these best practices that you can bring into your organization and, and implement to, to help uh, make sure you're delivering on your mission. Wonderful. Mark, th- this, this has been really helpful. I think you, you have given me some things to think about here um, in terms of how to evaluate a successful culture, what that means for your organization, how people actually go about getting it and how they measure it. Um, it it's, I mean, I'm, I'm literally even thinking about like our company. For mm-hmm. about some of these things, to say nothing of the athletic departments that we work with, uh, this this has been really helpful. Thank you so much for taking some time Great. with us today. Thanks for having me, Matt. Real quick, um, before we wrap up here, I would be remiss if I did not shout out our good friends at Home Field Apparel that make all of uh, everything here work. Homefield, of course, makes the most comfortable, the most unique, the most interesting, officially licensed collegiate apparel from these extremely comfortable T-shirts to sweatpants to tank tops and all manner of other things. Um, I generally wear home field stuff when I'm at home. If I'm not uh, doing a collegiate sports connect or or going into a press box or anything, I'm wearing a vintage BYU baseball t-shirt right now. Uh, It's funny because this is a cougar that very much looks like he should be having a cigarette hanging at the mouth, uh, the corner of his mouth, which feels very un BYU ish, which makes it a funny t-shirt. Um, the last several weeks, you know, you know, this the interview was was pre-recorded, but uh, the last several weeks, Homefield's been dropping some bangers with collections from Oklahoma, with Nebraska, with Kansas State, and uh, they're dropping Northwestern this week, which I'm told is a good school. Which you know, you would know about that if you'd never talked to anybody from Northwestern. Um, but I have seen some of these designs. I have some vintage Northwestern stuff already. I will definitely be spending money on this. I don't think they got the license from Medill, so I don't have to spend 35 bucks and explain to my wife that it's very important that I own this shirt for a Twitter bit. Um, but there's there's legitimately good Northwestern things that you should get, uh, along with all these other schools. If you get them, use promo code extra points to save 15% off that order and drop me an email at matt at extrapointsmb.com if you would like to get some of your stuff on home field as well. I'm happy to make the introduction. I'll just also quickly say here, as we head into August, we go back to a different regular publishing schedule. We're going to ramp up some of our conference previews, which are very different from 
your typical preview because I'm not going to get as into the X's and O's weeds. And I'm going to try to get much more higher level as we get in, in, into the space that we are also happy to work with you, whether that is for a longer sponsored podcast, which we might do once a month, maybe a little bit later, uh, or other uh, interview spots here. We are happy to help promote some of your products. That is at sales at extrapointsmb.com. Uh, I thought this this was an enlightening interview. These, these are some of the things that are, are harder to, I think, really explain but they really do fundamentally play a huge role in the success of teams, schools, athletic departments, your church basketball team. And the quest to try and not just figure out how to implement or use data, but even what data to get is something that we've been fascinated with here across D1 Ticker for a while. Um, we are, I'm, I, I, while I'm not on the phone doing EA stuff or conference realignment stuff or transformation committee stuff, one of the other stories I have been working on, and we might not see the fruit of this labor until until September or October, but we're trying to understand more of the of the advanced stats analytical world, particularly in non-football sports. Uh, and we're talking to other experts in that field, uh, whether those are brands or statisticians or some coaches, and we'll be happy to share some of that uh, as well because all of this stuff, super interesting to me. Hope it's interesting to you too. Uh, thanks so much for sticking with us here. We've got uh, some more guests and other shows coming up as we wrap up this month while Brian and I are kind of zigzagging around the state and across the country. You can email me at matt at extrapointsnb.com. Say nice things about our show on social media or wherever you're getting your podcasts. That makes it easier to justify doing this to our bosses. And um, subscribe to Extra Points and D1 Ticker if you have not already. Uh, thanks for sticking with us, everybody. We'll catch up with y'all.